This is Golf's Drive to 95 in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation. Welcome into our debut show of Golf's Drive to 95 in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation and their mission to grow junior golf and its life-enhancing values with emphasis on youth and the disadvantaged. I'm J.P. Plant, and I'm joined by Rodney Cole, who has helped to spearhead this process and uh, a lot of really neat things with the the game of golf as it relates specifically to the youth. And uh, we are excited to uh, get this off the ground, off the tee box, if you will. Uh, And I'm excited to introduce Rodney and let him uh, tell our listeners a little bit about himself. And Rodney, where this all kind of came about, because this wasn't something that just uh, popped into your head uh, last week. This has been an ongoing uh, effort to try to organize um, to to get the the junior golf game, uh, not only in Murray County, but but beyond as well. JP, uh, thank you so much. Uh, You're exactly right. Uh, The kind of start of this idea started some two and a half years ago uh, i was traveling i was seeing some uh, projects with junior golf in different parts of the country and i reflected back on my own junior golf days and the tennessee uh mr horton dick horton started uh the golf academy up at fall creek falls and i got to thinking about my junior golf days and the importance of those to kind of helping me uh grow my golf career and things of that nature. So I said, hey, look at Murray County. I remember growing up here playing Stony Brook and Graymere and thinking, wow, this is opportunity to kind of take some of the things I've seen in travel, maybe link it with the Tennessee Golf Foundation, uh, seek Mr. Horton's advice and kind of guidance on us, how we can grow the game of golf and specifically how we can grow some junior golfers here in Murray County. So I took that idea uh, to the school district, to the board, went through the process of sharing uh, the idea, and it was embraced and supported. They, uh, superintendents of schools, linked me with uh, Chris Pointer, the athletic director, who was very beneficial in helping us to kind of tighten up the idea, get get the concept going. We worked closely together. Uh, I got linked in with Mr. Horton and Whit Turnbow up at the Tennessee Golf Foundation at Golf House in Franklin. They've been very supportive. There's been a lot of community uh, interest, uh, community leaders that have also helped with the project. And we actually got the green built at Baker School. And we're now in a position to where we can actually – Uh, begin some programming uh, once the pandemic hopefully in the fall when it eases a little bit more and we can really hit the ground running with programming now you mentioned the green that is built at the elementary school in columbia Uh, your background obviously uh, a lover of golf a player of golf but you've taken that to the next level where you make a living in uh, architecture designing going all over the country and you have used that to help facilitate this the idea of uh, designing a green on an elementary school campus in columbia tennessee how did that come about well it's uh, like you said i love the game uh, i remember uh, seeing mr horton at a, or all the junior golf tournaments growing up and you know I, I early age i said i want golf to be 
in my life. Uh, I want to be in the business of golf. And I uh, started out teaching. Uh, Legends Club opened up in Franklin and was one of the first assistant golf professionals there. They allowed me to start teaching. Uh, the late Kevin McWilliams was the director of golf there. Mike Green was the head pro. Uh, got my started getting my feet wet teaching and uh, went on to uh, teach for David Ledbetter at the David Ledbetter Golf Academy down in Florida. Got some worldwide travel opportunities from there. Uh, just continued to grow uh, in the business of golf uh, to eventually had some interest in learning about architecture and, and just around mid 1990s uh, went back to school, Arizona state uh, uh, earned a degree in landscape architecture, worked for some golf course architects, worked for some builders, gained a lot of experience. And, you know, it's just been uh, a, a passion and a dedication to trying to, uh, stay involved and grow, promote, and enhance the game of golf. And uh, this project, it just fit right into uh, something I could do. I travel a lot, uh, so I'm home uh, when I can be home. Sometimes my trips are in or short, so this was an opportunity when I was home to be able to be involved with something and, you know, hopefully get to see more junior golfers on the golf course. Obviously, you've been inspired enough to to want to do this through your experience in golf, but with the mission of Tennessee Golf Foundation, in particular, it's life-enhancing values. What life-enhancing values have you picked up in the game of golf Well, because I, of the game of golf? Yeah, I mean, the being able to just you – know, the when you're a, a junior golfer picks up the game, they learn a lot of honesty – sportsmanship, integrity, respect, all the th- all the core values that are makes communities better, makes these children better, the people that are surrounded, they're around. Uh, golfers by nature are really, really I've met a lot of wonderful people in my travels. I've known Mr. Horton now for a lot, very long time, considered him my friend. Uh, learned a lot from him. And I've watched from afar. I may be in, out in Arizona, but pick up a publication and read about Golf House. I'm, like, proud of that. Uh, it's in my home state. Uh, Mr. Horton's connected here to Columbia. So I, I watched that closely over the years, and I said, hey, this is an opportunity to give back to Columbia. It's an opportunity to give back to the kids. I have the skills to build a green. I have the desire and dedication to do it. And so we did it. And now we've got something that hopefully will be embraced. We can link it hopefully with the programming we're going to do to get more juniors. The Tennessee Golf Foundation will be supportive of it. And we can really uh, have something that as a county we can be very proud of. Well, Rodney, you're going to have a proper introduction of uh, Mr. Dick Horton uh, coming up in just a little bit. You have a lengthy discussion about his lifelong uh, really gift to the game of golf. Um, so uh, stay tuned for that. But in particular, right now, I know you're really excited to uh, to bring him into this conversation, in particular about the Golf Drive to 95 title of this, this show and the Tennessee Golf Foundation and how the two have kind of uh, – uh, merged into this uh, uh, long-range project of growing the game of golf? Well, it was. When I made the presentation to the school board, I referenced Golf House Tennessee, and that was purely from my from afar and, and personal 
relationship with Mr. Horton, seeing the growth and the positive growth that Golf House, the Tennessee Golf Foundation, has made to Tennessee Golf and the juniors that have come through programming that was uh, spawned out of the creation of those entities. It's, I said, hey, let's, how can we link it to Murray County? And that's where the idea of the Murray County Junior Golf Initiative was kind of teed up. And it's been supportive. And, and we're now at a point where we can link it with golf's drive to 95. And very thankful and fortunate to have Mr. Horton here in the studio with us today to kind of talk about that in a little more depth and how we're going to be able to collaborate and work together to really uh, improve the recreational resources and the game of golf in our community and grow, grow you know, better junior golfers in our, in our community. Mr. Orton, I want to bring you into this conversation now. Of course, uh, you've known Rodney for a while. You have ties to uh, Murray County as well. But uh, the correlation between the private sector, the public sector, and the public education sector as well, uh, the involvement of all that I know has really uh, been exciting for you to see from the uh, the statewide uh, viewpoint of this Tennessee Golf Foundation. Let me, let me wind back a little bit and sure. try to take a view from 50,000 feet above. Tennessee golf, is its trademark is a cooperative culture. And when I say cooperative culture, everybody in golf pulling for the good of the game. Superintendents, club managers, golf professionals, amateur golfers, men, women, juniors, schools, etc. And so... Um, we start with a cooperative culture in Tennessee. Then my predecessor, Whit Turnbow, um, one of the things that, that I was charged with early on as we began to build an endowment fund, um, people from, for example, Memphis or Bristol would say, you're asking me to donate money to Tennessee Junior Golf, but everything seems to be at your headquarters, which is Middle Tennessee, Franklin, Tennessee, uh, why should I give Memphis money to Middle Tennessee? And so our chairman uh, told me, he said, you've got six months to come back with an answer and tell, tell, to answer that man's question, why in Memphis should I give money, you know, for junior golf in Tennessee? So we came back. My, my responsibility came back was I said, we've got the headquarters in Middle Tennessee. That area is covered. What about the four other regions in the state? Memphis, Chattanooga, Knoxville, and Tri-Cities. Let's take that endowment fund and put a director of golf in each of those cities. Hometown community person, and their job is to wake up every day and how can I make golf better in my city? And so we funded those positions. It was $365,000 by the time you got an office and salaries and et cetera. But now all of a sudden we had a reach in each of the major metropolitan areas. So again, fast forward to my predecessor, Whit Turnbow, and he looks at this and says, let's make this golf drive to 95. He said, drive, you know, drive. Everybody wants to hit the long ball with a driver in golf. Uh, drive is a movement. Um, uh, and, and then 95 is how many counties we have. And, you know, looks like you've got the five big areas covered, the big counties and the big cities. Let's get down to everybody all across the state. So now, and I'm, I'm extremely proud, things sort of all pulled together in Murray County. 
And, and my guess is, not having lived here, but my guess is this is a close community where the leaders in the community, the, the businessmen, the highly successful people, the high net worth, the school system, uh, this is a close-knit community. And so all of a sudden we have people like Bobby McKeever who grew up here, uh, Sonny Shackelford at uh, Graymere Country Club, which is, has been supportive of years and years of golf activities, especially the kids over the years. And then you have somebody like Jim Barrier, who's, who is a titan of, of, of the community here. And so all of a sudden now you've got golf leaders, you've got a club, you've got a community leader, and then you move over into the school system with Chris Pointer. And I will tell you, I've over my 45-plus-year career, I've met a lot of really sharp people in education. Um, this community is lucky to have Chris Pointer. He, was, he immediately saw the vision of, of a public-private partnership. He's got 23 schools. He's the athletic director. Of course I want golf in there. And I've got a willing group, Tennessee Golf Foundation and others, that want to make this happen. Uh, why wouldn't we open our arms and say, sure, we're going to put this out. And then Rodney comes up with the idea of a green, and we kind of scratch our heads thinking, oh, man, we're going to have a green. We're going to get the, 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 the cart ahead of the horse. But actually, I think, and we made a big investment, and we've got a green there that has a new strain of grass that is pretty much incredible. And you're going to hear more about it, but it's here in this county right now the only one anywhere in Tennessee that's got it. And anyways, you tie, wind all that together, and uh, we had a golf tournament at Graymere last year. We raised enough money to keep the green up. Uh, the pandemic, sure, it threw a big twist at us. All of our kids were, were you know, disjointed from where they were learning, et cetera. But through all of this, Chris has got open arms saying, our county wants golf. You know, we're not teaching the nine core values of golf, which Rodney alluded to. Respect, honesty, perseverance, integrity. We don't have classes of that, but guess what? Golf is that class. And it's a golf and it's a sport you can play outdoors. It's a sport you can play, you know, my mother finished playing golf at age eighty six. You can play it your whole life. You can play it with families. You don't have to play like Tiger Woods. You it's recreational. Quite frankly, it's it's affordable. Your your public courses today, by the time you go to, you know, a professional sporting game, whether it's hockey or football or whatever or ticket, man, those aren't those those aren't in, in golf has or had a reputation of, you know, a five hundred dollar driver. You don't have to have that. All this is to say though that in the in golf's drive for ninety five, this is a community that does not have a lot of golf courses in it. But guess what? It's got all the components to pull together what we can do. And the key is we've got we've got the Murray County School System and the athletic director saying, you know, let us be your leaders in this. So we're, we're going to come in here, and I think once we get everybody back to school as usual, that, that you're going to see this golf drive to 95. You could very well see Murray County – being sort of the leader of what I, I don't want to call this a rural county, but it's, it's not a big city county. Right. And, and there's plenty of those all across our state. And it's like, okay, well, how'd you do it? 
Well, we had a PGA golf professional. We had a club. We had a private, you know, state park nearby. We had a communication system, you know, WKOM is is a willing partner there. I'm guessing they're not all golfers in here in, in the in the radio station, but but guess what? This is what it's going to take. You got communications, you got experts, you've got some some highly successful businessmen. You know what 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 Jim Barrier has done with with the um, the theater work that he does in in the community at the schools, unbelievable. Yes, and and we take that same concept that Jim had. And we do it with private partnership, and we have a golf leader. You know, we will have a full-time person one day, I think, and not the distant future, who will wake up in Murray County every day and figure out how can I grow the game of golf and help and help spread those core values in the game of a lifetime to our kids. And we, by the way, we've got 23 schools in the county, and not every school will be able to buy into it. The athletic directors at each and, and teachers and PE teachers at each one, you know, they're going to have to be educated and schooled and get equipment. But, um, you know, this could be really an exciting place where we can take, and I love that Murray County is going to be at the forefront of this, and, and we are going to be successful, trust me. Well, we our football team's been successful over the years, and you you kind of think about golf, and there's no reason with uh, having a facility like Baker where a young junior can start out young, have some coaches there to help guide them and train them, work into the middle school, continue growing as a golfer, continue growing as a young person, then getting into high school, our teams have a chance to be more successful in state competitions we can have some you know uh, better uh, participation I, I went to one of the Snedeker tour tournaments up in uh, this past year and I'm sad to say we didn't have any contestants from Columbia that were in that particular tournament and that was just one tournament that I went to but I'd like to see more participation when I look at one of the programs for the junior tournaments across the state I'd like to see some juniors from columbia participating so this program allows us to to kind of grow from you know the grassroots up and i I think you know you've you've got uh, golf teams in in the community um and you know when did how exciting would it be to have a little three hole par three course on the baker school system And, and the sheer fact that you've got that elementary school the middle school and the high school all on the same campus right and it's a public school and you've got i mean this has the ingredients of everything written on it that could be an unbelievable story down the road and um i just would i'll just say this i I would never bet against murray county i think you're going to see um big time industry move its way i mean look at the corporations that are moving into our state from these big high-tax cities and you know I don't want to say Nashville's sold out, but man, oh man, is that place growing um, too much to my liking, but that's <laughs> another story. But but you're going to be the beneficiary of the growth of this whole state, and wouldn't it be great if you had a new car company come in here and say, you know what, that Golf Drive to 95, it's in all the schools, and it's teaching the nine core values of life, and that's really what we want. Glad it's golf. Glad they can have fun doing something, playing a sport. 
but but I want the children in that to know about perseverance, about respect, about integrity. And then you say, well, wait a minute, how do you tie in all that stuff in? And and that's a whole other show where you talk about keeping score, doing the right thing, a sport that calls penalties on itself, a sport that's played on 200 acres. I mean, there's no other sport like it. And I think at the end of the day, if you really ask a parent to pick out a sport that they'd like, that's safe, that they could play with their children, uh, it ought to be on that list. And we're just here to give an opportunity to those. So so this could be a, a, a I, I, I'm excited about um, we've got all the ingredients. Let's get rid of the pandemic, which we're all pulling for, and not for us for golf. Because oddly enough, if you can believe, go, golf was one industry that, that was vibrant and boomed during the pandemic. I mean, it was lucky. You know, we're outside, the wind's blowing, you, you're, you're, you're there. But I think it's, it's um, let's take advantage of people's interest in that. And um, we're, 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 we're going to do this and we're going to do it right. This is Golf's Drive to 95 in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation. Well, both of you have kind of touched on um, some answers to my next question that I think you both maybe can uh, address. But, Rodney, I'll start with you uh, specifically at the Murray County local level because that's where it's beginning um, for you. But what are some of the benchmarks of success that you hope to see maybe in five years and 10 years, if, if we see, for instance, you know, X number of golfers from Columbia competing at the SNED or SNEDS tournaments, those types of things, what are some of the visionary things and benchmarks that you hope to see in, uh, in this short-term and long-term plan? Well, right off the bat, the, uh, the facility at Baker school, it's approximately two acres. Uh, we have actually improved an area that's say roughly an half acre. Uh, there's a there's plans for some little short holes which also act as a short game practice area for the middle school and high school golf teams. So it's kind of a hybrid type of facility. So I would say completion of what I'm calling or thinking about as phase two of our project, completion of that would be a goal. And, you know, when that occurs, uh, you know, we want to get some programming going and, and, you know, slowly build into completion of that. Uh, The next thing you mentioned was, you know, as far as seeing junior golfers come up, and I'd like to see our teams get a strong presence and become a, you know, a a competitor in in the state championships, maybe have a state championship team as well as some individuals that may go on to consider golf careers, uh, to go on to be leaders in their community, support the local clubs, become members at the clubs, and give golf in and the, and the citizens here in Columbia more recreational resources so they can get out and enjoy the fresh air, get some exercises. Golf, as far as exercise, it's wonderful. You're walking 18 holes, which – depending on the course you're playing, several miles, uh, good cardio. Um, you can play it a lifetime. You can play it with four or five generations. So 
you know, just in broad stroke, those are <laughs> some of the things uh, that I would think of as far as some goals for moving ahead. JP, I, I can see some other additional things. I, I could see a first tea chapter here in the in the in the community for people that don't know first tea if you watch any golf on tv you see a lot of uh, uh, promotional items for that but but first tee is like scouting in golf you know you start as a tenderfoot and then you move up to you know you move up the rank to eagle scout uh, we have same thing you know and ours is is par level birdie level eagle level and ace level and by the way, if you if you accomplish H level, which is very much similar to Eagle Scouting, uh, the Tennessee Golf Foundation guarantees you support of tuition in college, wow. anywhere from five hundred dollars to it's been a lot more than that. And we've got an endowment fund in that just for it's not it's not a golf scholarship. It's it's a you you completed you know service to the community. You were able to play a credible game of golf. And that's not shooting the 70s, but you can play golf recreationally. Um, I could see for sure um, that, um, you know, your your golf for business and life. I mean, that's another, it's a lifetime sport, but how many people, you know, you've got an opportunity to do business on a golf course. It lends itself very nicely to that. So I think those are the kind of things that, that you could have reasonable goals for. But I... You know, I could see one day having, you know, the Murray County Junior Invitational, right. and it's like we're going to bring each of the each of the champions' uh, highest ranked player. We rank all our players now, but the highest ranked player in ninety five counties comes to Graymere for a weekend and has a championship, right. and they get everything they get here. There, you know, is is just is like they're going to. You know, I won't say the Masters. Nobody can do it right. like that. But it's a yeah. – so so those are dreams that you could have. And yeah. and um, like I said, I, I think you're going to have all the ingredients to make all of those happen. Um, and, and we're – we've the, the good part of this is that we've – We've got the vision. It's not like we're at square one and we don't even we're, right. we don't know where we're going. We, we've got a lot of thought, Rodney. Again, you've put hours and hours into this thought, and uh, you know, just by the sheer fact that we're sitting here at the radio station talking about a pilot program that we think the other ninety-four counties might want to copy, you'd think, you know, those three guys are crazy. <laughs> but uh, I. I just wouldn't bet against it. Well, I'll tell you one other thing I thought about as you were sharing those thoughts, Mr. Horton, was uh, the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America has a program called the First Green. And the First Green program can link uh, juniors. They can take some classroom activities, come out to the green, learn a little bit about agronomics, learn a little bit about soils, water. They can blend and link in with – this particular green, an understanding about turf grass and some of the things to and link it in with the, the school's curriculum. So I'm excited about all that you shared as well as pursuing the first green and seeing if that can be a program that can be embraced by some of the teachers in, this, in the school you know, district. We, in, in 2011, we did an economic impact study of golf in the state of Tennessee and we, we found it's a $2 billion industry. And we're, and we're talking everything now, real estate around it and, right. you know, hospitality jobs, uh, chefs, cooks, golf professionals, superintendents, 
Um, there's a pretty wide range of things. And then somebody, somebody said, well, you know what? That, that's bigger than the walking horse industry. I said, man, you got to be kidding me. So anyways, it, it's, it's, it, it's a force to be reckoned with for careers. And the, in the careers, I keep coming back, you know, it's not playing golf for a living. I mean, there, there are, if it has a $2 billion impact and that was 2011, we're 10 years out from that. What, what's that? What, all that is to say is it's a, it's a big business. It is. It really is. And it's growing as, uh, as you alluded to earlier, I was just up in Virginia at a club. They've had record numbers. It's across all the States. Golf is growing and this is an opportunity for our County to kind of get out, get ahead get additional recreational resources involved and grow some juniors here in the county. There will be a corporation that somebody will be listening to this radio station and podcast that will say, you know, I want to be a part of that. I'm trying to figure out where I can invest money in the community and get a real return for it and not a dollar return. And it's kids doing the right thing, learning to play golf. And uh, somebody will say, I want my company associated with that Tell me where to go and tell me tell me how much it costs. Well, we got a golf tournament coming up in the fall, so a title sponsorship uh, with that would be a nice start. Well, Mr. Horton, I will ask both of you, tell them where to go. Tell them who to call. How can people get involved? As far as, far as myself, uh, the opportunity uh, with my travels and things like that, we, we are in, as Mr. Horton alluded to, we're in the process of identifying a local contact point and we'll be circling back in the coming weeks uh, to share who that'll be and kind of how to get in touch with things. But as of right now, we're still working internally on that. I would almost say, JP, um, just go to tngolf.org, tngolf.org, and just look at that website and see the activities that go on. It, it may not be exactly when the tournament date is or, or, or where we are in that, but um, – get a feel for that because you know when we get we're still trying to get our arms around the the schools and the pandemic and that but i think our plan is to have our second golf tournament in the fall probably and um you know it'll be it was a wonderful success pulled together in a short amount of time last time um and and it'll be successful so i hope that answers your question but for right now tngolf.org is a pretty good place to at least learn about, you know, this activity and, and, and a little bit about the game everywhere across the state. We've talked a little bit about uh, the life-enhancing values, the goals, and some benchmarks, but also want to touch on and get both of your thoughts on part of the mission statement of the disadvantage and how that plays into the game of golf and, and what types of programs are out there to help the, uh, that uh, element. Well, I'll, I'll give you a great example, um, and this doesn't have to do with use. It has to do with the disadvantage. Uh, this morning we had uh, 25 uh, former combat veterans uh, at Golf House Tennessee helping them with uh, to learn the game of golf. And, um, you know, that's uh, to see guys out there that have, you know, lifelong, you know, wounded activities – um, and, and have them involved in golf, you know, with the kids, it's, I think, you know, they see it at school, we've got equipment, we can get them started. We've got clinics they can be involved in, 
you know, we, we had an overnight camp that ran for 45 straight years and the pandemic knocked us out of last year. And, but we've got day camps coming up. Um, you know, we've had half of the tuition of, of all the 300 kids that come there is endowed. So that's the disadvantage. If you come to us with a youth that says, you know, parents would love to have their child, we can get them there, but we, you know, we don't have clubs. We, we can't afford the tuition, which is, you know, part of our mission always has been affordable, accessible golf. And if you can solve those two issues, uh, we'll, we'll, we, we can, we can go from there and we've worked hard to get that. Um, a lot of our endowment funds are created where, where an individual said, you know, I'm, I want to leave X number of dollars and I want to, you know, I want that to go to the first T college tuition program, or I want it to, to be, you know, about, uh, golf Academy scholarships, you know, the, the yeah. being able to fund. So I think those are the kinds of things, but, um, I, I would just like to say that, that being affordable and being accessible is our mission and that plays into, the disadvantaged and, and the disadvantage can be any number of things. It's, um, but I, I think we do a nice job and have a good mix of, you know, it's amazing that you bring kids into a golf program and they, they don't see, a, you know, they don't see color. They don't see ability, uh, hardships. They're just kids and they just want to play and learn to play. And you know what? The kids that know how to play, take great pride in helping the ones that don't. They just don't do that in other, in other sports or, you know, it, it just doesn't lend itself to that. Um, so I, I think those are obviously I'm a little bit, you know, jaded toward golf, but, uh, not really. It's, it's a, it's just a wonderful sport. One, and, and one of our guests later in the, in the show is Bobby McGeever and he has a, a book entitled, uh, the heart of the game, a coach's perspective. And, you can get it at the Book Duck River Bookstore here in Columbia. But, you know, that's the heart of the game is what we're talking about with junior golf. And Bobby did through his career was very uh, – had a lot of successes uh, coaching juniors and, and getting some of them to go on and have some nice playing careers. So yeah, that's a, a great a read. Special, that is. Special, special book and uh, I encourage everyone to take a look at it. Uh, you know, you, you see during Masters Week, you see uh, – commercials like the St. Jude's commercials where they're airing uh, uh, folks and, and kind of their interest in golf and maybe how they were in a hospital with some pretty dire conditions, but they maybe saw or had a tour pro visit them and it inspired them and it, it sparked their interest in a game. And even though their abilities may not allow them to, you know, hit the 300 yard drive, they do have a link to the game and they love the game. And so things like that are pretty special. And when you kind of start seeing that in local communities and, and see all the organizations, the community link in and get behind it, it's a uh, golf can be a really great game. Rodney, one thing I would say too, is, is it, um, you know, the PGA tour, uh, always promotes the fact that the number one winner on on the tour is charity. Uh, Ten years ago, in that same economic study that we did on golf, we surveyed all the golf courses and how many charitable events did you have, and and, and just estimate how much money you think was raised. We added that all together, and it was thirty eight million dollars. Wow. Now these are these are little scrambles of, 
you know, all the way to big tour events. Sure. And, and, and it was, and they say, well, sure, you got that tournament in Memphis. Well, you know, guess what? At that particular time of the survey, they were giving the, 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 the Memphis Classic was giving a million dollars to St. Jude. Right. Well, there's 37 more million out that's there that's somewhere. being given somewhere. And these are for churches and causes and you, you name you name the charity everybody grabs golf no other sports maze I, I don't think i don't think combine professional football and professional hockey and professional soccer will give 38 million dollars a year every year and that's 10 years ago so well, you're you've your career you've done very well in being a part of that fundraising effort and uh, commend you. Uh, there's no telling how many of those millions you were directly uh-huh. in the state of Tennessee were kind of touched or involved in uh, getting, getting them together. Well, you know, that type of thing obviously lends right back into your mission statement, life enhancing values and supporting the disadvantaged those charitable events and the monies that it, it goes directly to that. Uh, that's what golf can do. And that's what uh, the Tennessee golf foundation is all about. And golf's drive to 95. Again, um, you can go visit tngolf.org, tngolf.org. You can uh, get uh, a broad idea of what it is all about and uh, be on the lookout for more information um, at your local level as well. This is Golf's Drive to 95 in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation. On this debut episode, uh, it is Masters Week, and Rodney has done a fantastic job of looking through his uh, Rolodex of uh, golf uh, greats, if you will, um, from all facets of the game. Rodney, tell us uh, who all you had the opportunity to visit with uh, to share some of their experience with the game of golf uh, as uh, we sit here on Masters Week. Well, starting uh, here in the state of Tennessee, I was very fortunate to a lot of uh, folks in the game and the golf business uh, consider Mr. Dick Horton Mr. Golf for the state of Tennessee. So I started reaching out to him right off the bat to say, hey, will you come in and spend a few minutes with us to share about your career and kind of link that to junior golf and the golf's drive to 95 program. Also look locally for a good friend, Bobby McGeever. Uh, his book is outstanding. It, it shares his journey through uh, coaching and some of the beliefs uh, that he has uh, took with him uh, over the course of his career. A lot of those linked to the Claude Harmon uh Harvey Panic, uh, which links back to Ben Crenshaw, who I'm very fortunate to do a few projects with over the years. I reached out to Ben. I said, hey, will you come on the show for a few minutes? It's Masters weekend. He was uh, his manager, Scotty Sarah, said he's pretty busy this, w- this week leading into the Masters, uh, but he was kind enough to spend a few minutes with us. And we also are very fortunate to a longtime superintendent at Atlanta Athletic Club, uh, Ken Mangum, who recently moved to the Franklin area, has become a good friend and has been consulting us on the turf grass and things out at Baker Elementary School and continues to uh, contribute his time, a big promoter of junior golf. 
and I'm just really excited about the the first guest I have on the show and uh, listen, letting the listeners um, experience some of the things that they've uh, uh, done in their careers and how they can help uh, us moving ahead with the initiative here in Columbia. You need to give your guest booker a raise, Rodney, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and a lot to live up to. So uh, exciting things to come on Golf's Drive to 95 in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation and their mission to grow the game of golf and junior golf and its life-enhancing values with emphasis on youth and the disadvantage. Uh, Mr. Dick Horton, a.k.a. Mr. Golf uh, of Tennessee, as um, uh, Rodney just mentioned, and Rodney Cole, um, who is uh, instrumental at uh, Murray County. And uh, your Links initiative, um, do you have a, an official uh, brand or name or uh, entity that is kind of spearheading this process right now I that think, people can find out information I think about? As a, we have been talking all along for here in Columbia, uh, Murray County Junior Golf Initiative, but mm-hmm. linking it to Golf's Drive to 95 yep. is kind of our thought, and that will be evolving and fine-tuning as we move ahead in collaboration with the Tennessee Golf Foundation and we're just excited to make further announcements as, as those kind of get solidified. Yeah, and, and putting the proverbial money where your mouth is, there's a green at Baker Elementary in Columbia uh, that uh, people could drive by. You can see it. Um, is it open to the public to, to go maybe roll a few putts, do a little chipping? Absolutely. It's there. Uh, we're – Actually, uh, in a few days, we'll be doing the first cut for this year and mowing it. Uh, it's kind of uh, the turf grass is, uh, as Mr. Horton alluded to earlier, it's called Prism Zoysia. It's a new variety of low-mow zoysia that's uh, able to get down rolling really tight. Uh, we don't have a lot of inputs on the green. doesn't require a lot of water. There's a lot of benefits to turf grass. Ken Mangum, who will be on the show later, will talk a little bit about kind of the decision that we made to use that grass. Uh, but the green itself, uh, it's a community project to, in all senses. There's parking both at Baker Elementary School and Whitthorn. Feel free to go and utilize the green, roll some putts, be able to enjoy uh, the, you know, you think about playing golf and Hitting the long drive is one thing, but you still have to make the putt. So uh, I encourage people, short game is a large part of the game. Uh, it's a great way to get children out there if they make a one-foot putt and see them jump up and down. Uh, it means a lot. It gets it strikes their interest. So get out there, enjoy it, and I uh, hope to see folks out there. All right. It is Masters Week. Real quick, favorite for the Masters. I know at this point when you hear this, We'll already be into the weekend. We are recording this before the tournament starts, so heading into the tournament, who do you like? Well, I'm just coming from uh, Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia, where I have an ongoing project. And several years ago, I saw Lanto Griffin uh, qualified for the U.S. Open there. So, you know, my sleeper pick would be Lanto Griffin. Mr. Horton, uh, I know you follow. Who, 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 do you, who are you liking uh, with their game as we head into the Masters? Well, I'll just be honest with you. I know who the winner is going to be, <laughs> and it's Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas. Yeah, there's yep. no doubt about it. This is his year. I've uh, I've heard pick. several other people yeah. mention that name. So I'm not all that confident, but he will win. Yeah. All right. 
uh, I said that was the last question. Favorite thing about the Masters, non-golf related, uh, whether it be uh, a pimento cheese sandwich, whether it be the Azaleas. For you, Mr. Horton, what's the what's your favorite thing about the Masters? That great big huge tree right next to the first tee. It's an unbelievable. It's, it's a setting. There's you've got the clubhouse. You've got you. This is in a normal year clubhouse. All the a little patio out there, grass patio where people are having lunch, and then the meetings and the visits and all that go on under that gigantic tree right by the Rodney knows where yeah, it is. And, and it's a monster. I'm not sure if you'll see it on TV, <laughs> but that's just I, I can't tell you over the years the conversations that 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 I've had with people there, and it's not always about golf; it's just about whatever, but. You'll see a lot of, of, of famous people there meeting in that spot. For you, Rodney? In recent years, I think uh, probably seeing the drive, chip, and putt and seeing the reaction to some of the kids and the, how special that is, and more specifically the 18th green and seeing them on the 18th green and how that impacts their life. Uh, they'll remember that for the rest of their life. The course is outstanding. I could talk all day about uh, the course itself. Uh Seeing Ben Crenshaw on the the telecast and having known Ben a little bit, uh, that's special to me as well. And and finally, pimento cheese or egg salad? Oh, egg salad, no doubt. I got to go with pimento cheese. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. There you go. Uh, is it really that affordable there? there it, At a buck and a half, I think that's wow. what the sandwiches were the last time. I mean, you can't even you can't buy a Coke for that anywhere. Comes with that green wrapper too, right? Everything's green. Oh yeah, green. oh yeah. yeah. There's no labels on it either. Yeah. You won't see the word Coke <laughs> or any any brand name on anything there. When I first went to the Masters in the early '80s, um, I'll have to say I was coming from Stony Brook, and I had some rather long shorts that had a lot of bright colors, <laughs> and. I ended up on Atlanta TV interviewing me for what people were wearing at the Masters. Oh, I had boy. some kind of tennis shoes and long shorts and probably a T-shirt on at that time. But uh, anyway, that's a that's a memory for me for the Masters. Were those Madras shorts? That, they I forget what they were, but they were uh, like they capri, caught the attention. Like capri? Of the were they that long? They like were capri? pretty long. Yeah, and you see a little bit of the leg between the sock and the shoe. You know, so it's quite interesting. Mr. Horton, your thoughts on that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know about that, but but I think we all do remember our first Masters, and and mine was right after I started work. I think I was 23 years old. One of our really good junior players played at Belmede, and his grandfather was a gentleman by the name of Cohen Williams, and Martha White Flower was there, was his, was his grandfather's company. And so he said, would you like to go to the Masters this year? And I said, oh, man, I've never been. I would. He said, okay, you, you, you've got a, you know, you've, you've got a ticket. So we fly down on the Martha White plane, and Fred Russell, who's a legendary writer, uh, was on the plane. Mr. Williams was on the plane. Matt King was the junior golfer who was my friend. And, and the pea picker, Tennessee Ernie Ford. So we go down there, we get picked up by the club van, you know, it's got the Augusta National logo on it, drive to the course, and you know where we drive, right down Magnolia Lane, driver says, I want to just take you straight to your cottage, 
said, okay, where would that be? Well, it's right next to the 10th tees, the Tennessee wow. Cottage. Wow. And stayed there, watched the Masters under those conditions. And, and it was, it, it, there's no way it could have ever been better. The first time was unbelievable for me. And I'm indebted to, to Mr. Williams and Matt and all. But, I mean, you know, they had me for a lifetime after that one as, as far as working in Tennessee and working with the people here in our community. So, when 2008, Mr. Horton got selected as a member of the Royal Ancient Golf Club in St. Andrews, Scotland. And I meant to ask you earlier about the experiences of what that has meant to you and some of the people or something that's uh, happened to you went during because of that relationship. Well, it's it it is it's golf royalty, um, but it's it's a lot of just regular people that are members of that, um, and and there are golf leaders, but just the whole process and understanding that, and you know, you don't go into the building without a coat and tie on. I think the very first time I walked through the door, Sean Connery was was in there, and and uh, but it, it's it's just a it's it dedicated to the history of the game and the beginning of it, and. Uh, to go through, you know, that process, the the, um, the membership is divided up into to countries with a certain allotment of of members allowed to to be in, and and so, you know, Australia has seventy five members, and maybe Denmark has you know ten members, and UK has thirteen hundred members. And then the rest of the world is, it's like about, I think about 25 or 600 members, wow. you know, and the rest of the world has the other half. And, uh, and then to, you know, to participate in the activities and to, uh, you know, I was a volunteer in the, in the 2015 open when we, when, when we hosted at the old course and it, it's a, um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a club of members, not a member's club. So the old course is not our home course. Like I'm belong to the old course and I can go play anytime. Right. My, my access, to the old course is no different than yours. Right. You know, we go into a ballot, we get drawn and we get to play, but, um, it, it really is a, an incredible, um, you know, it's maybe the most historic building in the, in all of golf, but then just the, the way things are, are, are done there and the, the, the formalness of it. Have you played their big putting course over there? Because oh, sure. I've seen images of that, and I just think that's something oh. that for junior golf and for citizens to have something like that here in Middle Tennessee that could be played in a public, you know, entity. Well, be- it, it's it's huge, and that it's the you know I guess they call the course the Himalayas, and it's packed. You you just you'd see a cluster of people over there and. You know, there's a there's a ladies putting society that gets dressed up in long dresses and goes out there and play, and uh, yeah, it's it's a it it truly is the home of golf, and uh, you know I I'm just um, so fortunate and and just feel like you know what what am I doing here in in this place, and you know I'm 71 now and I'm one of the younger members. Right. So, um, you know, it's it's got a lot of uh, it, it's. But it, anyways, it it's a um, it's just a 
totally dedicated to the game and the history of the game and preserving it. So it's, it's really pretty special. special. Yes, it is. You're listening to Golf's Drive to 95 in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation. Once again, your host, Rodney Cole. You know, here in Columbia, we've been uh, working hard to promote and grow junior golf. And last year, we got started with an initiative uh, that's been strongly supported by the community. And uh, we've had uh, the school district highly involved. Uh, the Tennessee Golf Foundation's been helping us out. The community leaders are all getting behind the initiative and you know we we had a golf tournament last year and uh you and bill core and scotty all sent sent us some things in that we auctioned off we really really appreciate that i uh i'm kind of reflecting on last year and i wanted to uh there was a quote that i i've seen a couple of times that you made at some point that said uh if we are to preserve the integrity of golf as left to us it is up to all of us to carry on the spirit of the game. And, you know, that I think, I think about your career and, and I think, uh, the Harvey, your connection to Mr. Pinnock and as your, uh, you know, young instructor and the, the outstanding junior career that you had, uh, three times the NCAA championship at the University of Texas, uh, low am at the Masters for a couple of years there in 72 and 73, turning pro, uh, you know, there in 73, uh, all of your, your PGA tour wins and worldwide wins, uh, the, the masters wins in 84 and 85, uh, playing in the last group five times. It's, it's quite, I mean, the Ryder cup captains and playing on the team four or five times, uh, your connection and, and building the design team with, uh, court with Mr. Core, uh, and your induction into the World Golf Hall of Fame, it's, it's outstanding. And I, I got to think that a lot of that is linked back to your junior golf days, your connection to uh, Mr. Pinnock and what he taught you. And, you know, I just wanted to, a couple of, cu- couple of questions and then kind of circle back to that at, maybe at the end. But the first question that kind of being this uh, airing is going to be uh, played on the Saturday of the masters. And I was thinking about your, maybe what, if you could talk about maybe the differences in your 1984 win at the masters versus your win in 1995, and maybe link that to Mr. Penix and some of those early lessons that you, you learned as a junior golfer. Well, first of all, Rodney, I want to applaud your efforts as, as to present golf to to uh, young participants, girls, boys, uh, anybody who's interested in the game who's never taken it up, um, man, if they stick with golf, if they start golf in the right way, they'll have it for the rest of their life. Uh, right. And they, they have no idea what dividends it will pay throughout their life. Uh, I got a great head start. Uh, I was uh, taught by Harvey Penick, who was the greatest old teacher, and and my parents, uh, who were fantastic. My dad was uh, a very good player. Um, 
and 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 we were just around people who loved the game. Uh, and I, you know, I learned to compete at an early age, uh, and it it provided me with the impetus to keep going in the game. I loved it from the start. Uh, I played other sports, uh, but it was something I knew that I could keep. Uh, you know, after I started playing about three years, I said, this is, this is a game I can play the rest of my life. Um, I know this, that, uh, uh, it is, it helped me in so many instances, uh, in my playing career. And, and I, you know, <laughs> you know, I had a, one guy named Tom Kite in my hometown who, provided plenty of competition for me. And I knew that uh, if I played close to him or beat him, I was accomplishing something. So, uh, but we had a lot of other good young junior players around. So that really helped. Um, you know, I, I could not be luckier that I played here at the University of Texas. Uh, we had some great teams had a wonderful coach and George Hannon, and we won uh, two national championships. Um, and, you know, right about then I started traveling and playing the game. I started to play against people that I'd play against the rest of my life. And uh, it's just very much how you stacked up to the competition. And, Man, they helped a lot because I saw some great, great golf shots in in, in areas that you really had to produce. And uh, you know, my first Masters was 1972. Um, I never. One of my regrets is that I never got to meet Bobby Jones because he had passed away at Christmas time in 1971, uh, and I, I barely missed meeting him. I always wanted to. Uh, after all, he was, you know, one of the most celebrated golfers in the world. And, uh, he was, uh, uh, he was so highly regarded, uh, because he was, he was somewhat of an intellect and he had, he had three degrees. Uh, <laughs> he had a, uh, mechanical engineering degree from Georgia Tech. He had an English literature degree from Harvard, and he passed the bar uh, for his law license after two years at Emory. Uh, but uh, his Grand Slam year, 1930, uh, that fall, he was introduced to for some people that uh, that they may want to uh, he may want to see a piece of land over in Augusta. Um, his wife was from Augusta. His wife, Mary, was from Augusta, and he spent some time there. <clears throat> and he saw this piece of land, and he, he thought, well, gosh, this is, this is my chance. Uh, so he formed Augusta National. Uh, and uh, in 1934, the, the, the first year at Augusta, um, and then it just grew. Um, uh he he then relented on the word the masters and it became into being in the late thirties and he was fine with that. But uh <clears throat> it's uh, singularly the the most fascinating tournament uh in golf. I mean I I've 
lucky enough to play all the major championships, but there's something about Augusta that's magical. Uh, it's where it is. Uh, it's a spectacular piece of land. Uh, and Bobby Jones uh, and uh, the great uh, architect, Dr. McKenzie, uh, built that course. And it was singularly unique at the time because both gentlemen were uh, extravagant lovers of St. Andrews in Scotland. And uh, in Bobby Jones's mind, he called it, he wanted a rolling inland course. And uh, the uh, it's a hilly property. When people go there the first time, they can't believe how much it, uh, uh, it changes elevation. Uh, it's hilly. Uh, but it's spectacular. You know, everything is big at Augusta. The trees are big, the hills are big, and uh, the greens are are large. And they have some incredible undulations in them. I think the probably you know not only the piece of property it is, but the actual unsung stars there are the greens themselves. The greens are unlike any in the world. Uh, the undulate, they're very, very fast. They're dangerous. Uh, and uh, you have to know how to play them. And it, many, many people, it takes years to, to learn how to play that course. There's only been one guy who won in his first time at Augusta, and that was Fuzzy Zeller. And uh, I'm not sure if that'll be duplicated again. Uh, but uh, Fuzzy had the talent, and he, he said, all I did is listen to my caddy. And he he played fantastic that week, won in a playoff. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're talking about a tournament that's had probably the most thrilling uh, finishes uh, of any tournament, the nature of play on the back nine and how you can catch up or you can lose shots uh, because there's a lot of water and, and hazards on the back nine. And uh, it's it's had some momentous uh, decisions that that the participants have to come to come through and really play with a lot of courage. Um, fortunately, uh, I had my moments there, and I, I've had a lot of spectacular crashes there as well. I, don't don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, I, I always say that there's nothing like being in contention at Augusta. Uh, it's uh, it's so thrilling, and your heart is just in your throat many times because you're asked to uh, to pull off a shot that has uh, a lot of trouble attached to it. And when you bring one off uh, correctly in a situation like that, it just makes your uh, spirit soar. And there's so much excitement, and the the crowd is is so much a part of Augusta. Uh, I'm hoping there's a few more people around this year to watch the tournament. I think there's a few more, uh, but I must say, last year was eerie. Uh, Dustin Johnson just played magnificent; he really did. But you know, during this time in the pandemic, there just was not enough people, so there was a buzz, but not anything like like the usual years there's so much excitement so many people 
and it's it is just really thrilling and it's thrilling to to be a participant in that arena that was awesome ben that i don't want to take too much of your time uh you know that i had a couple of more thoughts here uh, related to some questions you know related to maybe sharing a little bit about the champions dinner or you know kind of the your relationship maybe with Carl Jackson, your longtime caddy? Well, absolutely, Rodney. First of all, Carl Jackson is my friend. Uh, We met in 1976 uh, at the suggestion of Jack Stevens from Little Rock, Arkansas, who was was then to become the chairman at Augusta. Uh, But he had... Carl Jackson had caddied for him and he had a great association with him. And, uh, it was suggestion that I hire Carl in 1976. And I said, well, absolutely. Uh, and we, we did well. We finished second, uh, to Raymond Floyd, Raymond Floyd beat me by eight, eight shots. And, uh, but we played well at our moments and, uh, Carl grew up in Augusta. Uh, he, he grew up, uh, he was, he first caddied at Augusta in the tournament when he was 14 years old, which is incredible. Uh, but he knows that course like the back of his hand. Uh, those caddies uh, back then <clears throat> knew the course so well that, you know, many players would want to have an Augusta caddy. As a matter of fact, uh, you could not hire anyone from the outside until, uh, God, I think that was 1982 or so, uh, when the club allowed uh, caddies from outside to come to the club. But I knew I had the best in Carl, and I, I'll, I'll say this: you know, we've won twice, and we've had a lot of close finishes. But I can attribute a lot of my uh, contentions let's say, were due to Carl because he made me learn the golf course, study it, um, and we were just a team uh, from the beginning, and I owe everything to Carl over there. Uh, He's just a wonderful, wonderful guy and a great friend, and uh, uh, I I know that uh, he helped me out in so many situations reading greens especially he was such a good greens reader and uh uh that's that's part and parcel of you've got to figure those greens out somehow you know you uh, every master's champion has a great touch on and around the greens so that's that's what it takes it takes a lot of nerve and skill to to execute You're listening to Golf's Drive to 95 in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation. Once again, your host, Rodney Cole. Ben, I've heard you say over the years one of your favorite greens out at uh, Augusta is the number 14 green, and it got me thinking. I know you and Mr. Coor have been have worked on and designed a course out in California called the Sheep Ranch that has no bunkers, and then I reflect back on the number 14 hole at Augusta, not having any bunkers and 
also the the beauty and art that's created in the green complex and just wonder if you could talk about you know no bunkers and hole number 14 at augusta just a little bit for us yeah rodney i i think at least two of my favorite greens at augusta are number five and number 14 um and in Jones's uh, writings over the years, he wanted to depict St. Andrews. And uh, there are so many greens at St. Andrews that have a, uh, a plateau-type look to it. And, and up on the flat part where the pins are located, uh, just before that is uh, the green falls precipitously and has a front face that encourages is a run-up shot that you had to play many times at St. Andrews. Um, number five is just one of an un- unbelievable green and has very fierce front facing to it. It does have uh, a bunker on the back left, but number 14, there's no, there's, when you look at that green, there's no need for a bunker there. It's, it's just the, one of the most fearsome greens I've ever seen. A lot of tournaments have been won and lost there because it is so slippery. Uh, it really, if you leave yourself in a bad position, it's one of the scariest first putts that you could ever see. Because uh, some of the, not only it's a front facing, but it, it's convex. It has a, a certain uh, convex look to it, and it can throw the ball right or left, and you can be way off. It can make you look silly. Uh, but uh, I know this, that uh, Ken Venturi uh, in 1956, uh, Jackie Burke won. He three-putted the green twice in that tournament. And he had the lead, and he three-putted there. And, he, you know, lots of people have, uh, have slipped up there. <clears throat> uh, uh, nowadays, the ball goes a long way. You can get down the fairway. A good way now you're hitting a lofted club in there. A lot of times, uh, you know, on, on the Saturday and Sunday when they put the pin in the back hollow, you can see a lot of close shots there because the, the contours help it there. But uh, the right front just over the shelf is just, man, you've got to be right on there. Uh, and, of course, the back left is really tough as well. But I, I could – you know what, Rodney, I could – if they just let me out right there, uh, if I was by myself, I, I would, I'd love to hit about 25 balls before the green and just watch the ball react. It's just, it's just, you've got to have such a great touch. <clears throat> and it really does remind you of St. Andrews, but it's uh, uh, five and 14 are very unique. Ben, your, your putting touch over the years is, legendary and you know I, I think that if we could maybe in respect of your time uh maybe kind of work towards wrapping up uh the the session here with maybe a putting tip for the listeners and you know you i think about maybe uh maybe a, a lesson you learn uh, I, I read a lot of your quotes over the years you said at one time you mentioned about putting it said you don't have any secrets about putting just hit at it it's either going to miss or go in. And I kind of reflect on today's younger generation. They're, they're very well coached in the techniques of things, and they, they really do look fine and look set up properly. But has the art of putting in your eyes 
changed or evolved or have we the younger generation lost the art of and feel of putting uh yeah. per se and what's some of the early lessons that you may have learned from mr penny yeah rodney i think uh i'm i'm even talking about today's game and today's professional game i don't think that there's a section of golf that's more dissected uh as putting is you know, uh, you know, you can make yourself a good putter, uh, but I think more uh, of the really fine putters that I've ever seen were born, and they rely on their method. And I, the, the bottom line is, Rodney, I've seen so many different methods work and work successfully. There's no right or wrong way to putt. I think a player has to get comfortable over the ball, uh, best putting is done with your eyes and your fingers to tell you how far to hit the ball and to try to execute the touch that you need. Uh, and you have to be a good greens reader too. Uh, in other words, you have to know what, what may happen along the putt. But <laughs> I know this, that every good putter that I've ever seen has beautiful pace. The ball arrives at the cup uh, consistently. It doesn't rush past. It doesn't go short. Uh, the ball is always around the cup. And Harvey always had a great uh, saying. He said, give luck a chance. He said, that ball may fall in uh, if you have the correct speed. But uh, uh, I, I, uh, you know, Harvey always he said another thing that I never heard a teacher say. He said, never look like anyone else when you putt. And I thought it was a great tip because invariably you'll play with someone who holds putts and is putting well, and, the, and you say to yourself, wow, maybe I should try a little bit of that. Sometimes that does not work, Rodney. Uh, I know this in my own mind when I don't putt well, I'm thinking about my stroke instead of the putt itself. Um, you got to be, you have to be reactive as to what you see. And, uh, you've got a picture of the ball going up there at a certain pace. Uh, all good putters are really good lag putters. And, uh, I think so that helps. Those are just wonderful, uh, wonderful things for our viewers to keep in mind as they go out and practice. And I know I've also heard you say over the years, the importance of, having little games on the putting green and almost acting like junior golfers used to do when you get out. And like you said, the front of number 14 at Augusta, you just like to get out there with a few balls and just watch it roll and, and, and work on feel and things like that. I, I just, I think those are wonderful tips and, and to wrap things up, I, I really do want to thank you again for your time uh, visiting with us. It means a lot. Uh, I, I'll keep you in touch with our progress with, junior golf here in Murray County. And I hope uh, maybe uh, one day down the road, you might come see us for our golf tournament as it continues to gain momentum. Well, I appreciate it, Rodney. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going over to Augusta on Sunday and work on a few things to think about to say at the champions dinner on Tuesday night. And uh, it's my job to present Dustin Johnson the defending champion, his uh, medal. And I'm going to give him a locket, a gold locket 
that was given to all of the champions over there. And it signifies that he'll be a member of the Masters Club the rest of his life. You're listening to Golf's Drive to 95 in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation. Once again, your host, Rodney Cole. I'm honored and extremely thankful to have Mr. Dick Horton joining us here in the studio today. You told me you played, got to play Augusta, and this is being uh, all, uh, the Masters Week. Um, maybe share an experience of your time when you got to go play Augusta. I mean, this is a big week. It's sure uh, is, it's man. clearly, it's clearly, and I think the membership at Augusta, uh, their vision would be to have the single greatest sporting event of any sport in the world. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find Super Bowls and maybe the NCAA basketballs right up there, but um, what they do with that golf tournament and the way that no stone is left unturned and the dollars they turn over to charitable entities um, is, is phenomenal. And that that golf course is just, um, it, it's it's unbelievable. And, and anybody that's had a, been fortunate enough to, to be a master's patron or go see a practice round or, or go play it, um, TV – TV does does it justice, but it really doesn't. You know, Rodney, we were talking earlier. You're a golf course architect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the hilliness of of just that golf course is unbelievable. Sure is. And and uh, you know, the greens are its defense. Right. You know, and Phil Mickelson did an interview yesterday, and 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 I guess I, as you listen to him, you thought, man, he's he's got it. So right. uh, so just watch this week and. Uh, and the best putter will win. Yeah, the the uh, the golf course itself is certainly interesting in a lot of areas. What might be from getting to play it? What might be one of the holes that really sticks in your mind, and some of the things you remember about it? And did you get a chance to watch the uh, drive, chip, and putt that was on the golf channel? Oh yeah, we well well you know and that's that's been a huge success across the country, and and what a great initiative. I mean every. And it goes all the way up now. I believe it's 14 or 15 is the oldest age group. And just to watch those young people that have worked so hard. I mean, they're the elite of the elite, not of money and privilege, but of ability. Special. And, and special. Yeah. And and then the women's amateur that they yeah. hosted with the final round being at, being at, the, at the national. Yeah. Um, just phenomenal. I, you know. I mean, all 18 holes are just unbelievable. I, I, I think the first hole may be, to me, the hardest, maybe one of the hardest golf holes on the entire golf course. That roll off the right side, I, last time I was down there, I saw Luke Donald was hitting some little pitch shots off the Lomo to the right of that green. And, I mean, the contour and slope seeing on TV versus being on the ground and and seeing the roll and the shape to that green is, is really special. Yeah, I mean, it's it's – it's a phenomenally difficult golf course, and and don't forget, it's the first swing you make of the day at Augusta National. Right. And buddy, that makes a whole <laughs> difference in in the world of where it goes. And then you got to make par from there. But 
you know, the famous holes there. We talked about yeah. this earlier, you know, 13, 15, 16, 18. Yeah. Um, and, and you said Ben Crenshaw loves the 14th hole. Right. That's yeah, kind of the forgotten sure. hole in the yeah. back nine. No bunkers, uh, by the way. There's no bunkers yeah. on it. And uh, phenomenally difficult. Corey. You watch him putt on there, and I think there are as many three putts on that hole as there are in him. So it'll be a great championship, and they'll be a great champion at the end. Today's a special guest, uh, just turned 81 years old a few days ago. On his birthday, he shot 69 at Graymere Country Club. He's been a longtime golf enthusiast here in the state of Tennessee, and I'm honored to have Don Sargent Sr. with us here today. You know, being Masters, the Masters Week and uh, your long link to the game of golf, I wanted to maybe talk a few more questions with you about you know, your, some experiences. I know you had a chance to play Augusta. So can you share a little bit about some of your stories and what you remember about playing there? A lot of them. Uh, I, I started, as I said earlier, Mason Rudolph and my, was my idol in Clarksville. And I, I started going to the Masters to watch Mason play practice rounds. And uh, beautiful place. It's no other place like it in the world. And it's a, you know it was a nursery before it became a golf course, and it's full of every type of tree and shrub you can think of, dogwoods, redbuds, and just absolutely beautiful. And uh, the story I, I uh, related to you at one point in 1967, which was Ben Hogan's last Masters, uh, my wife and I were there early on a Sunday morning, and we watched Ben Hogan and Mason play an 18-hole practice round. Wow. And uh, there were no ropes up then. Everybody knew how to behave in those days, and you just behaved and stayed out of the way. But we were walking 10, 15 feet from Hogan and Mason, and Mason introduced me to Ben. And Ben's not known for his personality, was not known for his personality. And Mason said, I'd like you to meet Eleanor and Don Sargent, close friends of mine, and Ben went, uh. <laughs> gave it, gave it that little. was it. He <laughs> nodded his head while he was smoking a little cigarette down to the to the nub. But yeah, it was an awesome experience. And Mason introduced me to other great players like Julius Burris, and and uh, actually introduced me to Sam Snead at one point. But Mason was a wonderful person. And yeah, sadly, I, I attended his funeral not long ago. It's a. Uh just Tennessee golf has had a lot of great people involved, and I know you mentioned you played with Lou Emming at one point too. So, uh, yes, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Yes, uh, Mr. Emming was Mr. Golf in Tennessee for years. Uh, the people growing up today probably never heard of him, but he won everything you could win in right. Tennessee golf, and he was USGA senior amateur champion, I think, seven times. Yeah, and and I played. Uh, 36 holes with him at Bell Mead in 1965, and it, uh, I was foolish enough to think I could qualify for the U.S. Open. But I played with him, and I never was treated more uh, kindly by a fellow competitor uh, than he treated me that day. And yeah. I was playing some uh, DT Titleist balls, and uh, he after the morning 18, he came over to me on the tee, the first tee to start the afternoon round. He handed me a sleeve of a lot of balls, and he said, Don, you'll try these, and you'll find that you'll play much better with these. Right. And, right. and I did. I played yeah. better. I I had played Ballada before, but I was 
I don't know. I was just playing Serling because I thought they went further. Yeah. But Mr. Emming was a truly, a true gentleman of golf. And uh, his wife as well, she followed every step he took that, that day, 36 holes on a fairly warm day. Well, it's a, it, golf's certainly a great game, and you've been uh, a really good player for a long time, won a lot of club championships and different clubs here in the Middle Tennessee area. And um, I think back to, you know, you were also sharing with me with Augusta, the, your ability to get the honor to play and uh, some of the experiences related to that. The interesting story, a humorous story, uh, on the first tee, uh, the member who, who's uh, whose guest we were, we were his guest, and uh, on the first tee, he could tell I was a little nervous, and uh, he asked me if I had my camera, and I said yes, and I'd given it to my caddy, and, and I, I retrieved it from the caddy and gave it to the member, and he said, uh, uh, "Back up, I want to take a picture," and, and I, I kind of rad my shoulders back and smiled. I was ready to take the picture, and he focused the camera on my feet. <laughs> and I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'm taking a picture of your feet." And uh, I I broke in broken in a new pair of shoes that day to play right. Augusta. Sure. And I said, "Why are you taking a a picture of my feet?" And he said, "Because when you get home and you're showing these pictures to all of your friends, they'll ask you, what is what is that? A picture of your feet?" And he said, "You tell them that it, that is my feet." On the first tee of Augusta National. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so That's I've, a, I've got that picture at home in a little frame right. uh, in, in my office. And it was really a, a day that it's just really you can't explain the, that that day we spent. I played with my son, Bowen, who, yep. which was a pleasure playing with him. And yep. the, the member out of – well, two members. Right. And uh, that we were, there were only two foursomes playing of God on the course that day. We – Went off at 11, and the other foursome was out on about 14 or somewhere right in that. So we, we were like, there was no one there. And it was on March the 11th, and they had all the grandstands up for the Masters. The scoreboards were all up, and we were playing uh, Sunday's pin placements. Yeah. So quite a quite – a, uh, I, I, I tell people that I play Augusta every day. <laughs> And I do. I play it in my mind yeah. every single day. Well, you're wearing a Augusta shirt here today. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I've seen uh, the passion you have for the facility uh, many times yeah. in our chats. Uh, you and your sons have probably played close to all of the top 100 golf courses in, in the U.S. And, you know, I'd like to maybe you to think about that and, and being Augusta, can you think of a couple of your favorite holes there and kind of what you think about the strategy of those yeah. holes? The favorite holes uh, for me uh, that day, and some would find this hard to believe, I birdied three holes that day. I birdied okay. uh, five and six and 14. Okay. So those are my favorite holes. Right. But, but uh, there's not a hole at Augusta that would not be a, a favorite hole. It's yeah. just a magnificent place. You feel like you're walking through a garden. Right. When you're walking, it's absolutely perfect. Television does not do it justice. And what I, what I, and of course I'd been there many times as a spectator, and, and it's very, very hilly. You don't see that on television as much. It's a hard walk, right? A very hard walk. 